the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And as we stated in the Sunday school hour, if you weren't there this morning, that as we go through the threshold of this new year, we want to focus our attention on a certain subject this morning dealing with it as well as tonight, and that, being su- that subject being the subject of um, you and I being godly in our lifestyle and the pursuit of godliness, uh, trying to be that which God would want you and I to be. Amen? And we know as the Bible states that the flesh is weak, but the Spirit is willing. And so we want to lean this morning on the side of the Spirit and praying that God would increase our faith, that we would allow uh, more to be given to the things of God than to the flesh, and that you and I would find victory over these things. Second Timothy speaks volumes of the last day. And as we look at this subject of the pursuit of godliness, we would talk about it today for many reasons. And I would say that God laid it on my heart primarily for the reason that we know that godliness or godly people, they're a dying breed. Dying breed. I think even amongst children of God or Christians, um, they're a dying breed. You can go to many churches and it seems like very, very few, few godly people. We taught this morning in the Sunday school hour that you can understand what something is by understanding what something is not. And a godly person is not just a person that is saved. I want you to know that. You have to be saved in order to be godly. But there's a many of saved people that are not godly because of the lifestyle and the choosing that they make. It's more than just coming to church. Church is compared in many ways to um, the sweetness and yet the emptiness of a donut. You get, your sugar, you get your sugar, but there's no substance. A godly person is going to be attending church, but a godly person, their lifestyle of godliness consists more than just being here or portraying it here or viewing it here or living it here. It's outside of these walls. And so as we think about the pursuit of godliness, we pray that God would help us in these last days where it's becoming fewer and fewer to see uh, the actions and the attitude and the lifestyle of godly men and women. We pray that God will give us strength this year, 2020, as we look at vision, what God can do in our lives. Lord, help us first and foremost to be an individual of godliness, to be a church that's godly. I want our families to be godly families. I want to be a godly man. And as we think about these things, we have to go to the Lord and pray and ask God to help us on a daily basis. It is a choice. Amen? It is a choice. And we have to choose to serve the Lord. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent fears, despisers of those that are good, Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. The pursuit of godliness is not the pursuit of happiness. Are you saying that a person that is living a godly life, pastor, can't be happy? No, I'm not. Because we know, according to the Scriptures, as well as just tangibly living it out in our life, that the greatest thing that you could ever do 
with your life or the most content and happy that you'll ever be is when you're a godly person. And yet, may I submit to you that I don't believe that Paul in his physical body really enjoyed being in the deep a night and a day. I don't think that he really enjoyed the persecution of stonings, being led over a wall in a basket, or being ran out of cities and towns. It's not the pursuit of happiness. There's a complete difference. And there are so many people, as the Bible says, that they love pleasure more than they love God. Having, verse 5 is key, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Sometimes church-going people are the most hypocritical people in the world. And it boils down to this statement. Having a form of godliness. A form is nothing more than an outside boundary guideline. It's nothing more than a a shadow. It's nothing more than just the outside shell. There's nothing within. There's nothing of substance within. It's looking the part, but yet being barren. It's like the old oak tree that's beautiful on the outside and towering up 80 foot in the air, and yet inside it's hollow and diseased and just waiting for a storm of life to billow upon it and knock it over. That's the reality of most Christians having a form of godliness and yet denying the power thereof. When we think about godliness, it brings my mind to a certain story that I heard not too long ago. And uh, I've gotten myself into a habit of telling some bad jokes. And so the other day I asked my wife about this joke. and She said it was corny, so bear with me. But it reminds me of a story about a young man. He was in his 20s and he found himself in a predicament. He knew it was wrong, but he just could not choose. See, he had entered into the dating arena and the dating world and he found himself dating two women at the same time. Again, he knew it was wrong, but he just could not not choose. One girl, her name was Kate, and he really, really liked Kate. And the other girl, her name was Edith, and he really liked Edith. Six months went by, neither of the two ladies had found out about one another, and everything was fine, and the man inside his heart, he knew he needed to choose, but he just could not choose. He loved Kay, and he really loved Edith. A year goes by, and finally the girls, the ladies, they find, find out about one another, and you can imagine the emotions. First, they're just heartbroken and grieving. They're sad, tears of sorrow. Second of all, the, uh, the emotions turn to anger, and they're mad, and then they come to their senses. Finally, they begin to talk, as women sometimes do, and we've got to give them an ultimatum. They stand before him, and they make the declaration, you've got to choose between one of us. You've got to choose one of us between between two, both of us. Choose one of us. And he said, I'm sorry, I can't. I really love Kate, but I really love Edith. And the lady said, well, if you can't choose, we're going to leave you. I'm sorry, I can't choose. So they left him empty-handed, never to speak to him again. And he's there all by himself. And someone might ask me the question, what's the moral, what's the, what's the, what's the reason behind the story? You can't have your Kate and Edith too. You say, Pastor, how does that really apply to the message? It does. In many, many ways. I'm reminded of what the Bible says in the Gospels that no man can serve what? Two masters. 
That's the same principle that we find when we, when we come to the subject of godliness. You have to make a personal choice to serve the Lord. There are so many people that want to look the part and yet they don't want to be the part. And what we want this morning is to focus our attention on this pursuit, a daily pursuit of being a godly man, a godly woman, given over to godly things and doing that which is right in the eyes of God. Lord, help me this morning to make the decision to give my life to You, to serve You. Just by way of introduction, when we think about godliness, there's a few things that we want to focus our attention on. And I would say, number one, that godliness is something that you have to train and exercise yourself to do. It's not natural. It's often something that in the flesh we don't really enjoy. It goes against the carnality of life. And we went to this verse this morning in Sunday school, but turn with me again. 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says in verse number 7, "...but refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness." Live a godly life today, and you're more apt to live a godly life tomorrow. If you make a decision today and follow through with that decision, most likely next week you're going to see yourself on the boat of godliness sailing in the right direction. Choose by a lifestyle that you are going to make a difference, that you are going to be a different person. When we leave this building today, God enable us, make that decision, pray and determine, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. There's the benefits of a godly lifestyle. But second of all, there's the basics of a godly lifestyle. It doesn't take some kind of great theologian to be a godly man or a godly woman. There are some simple things that you and I can do. Look with me in Titus chapter 3. And in fact, we'll back up to really Titus chapter 2 and we'll read a few things here and then we'll go into chapter 3 and we find some very basic truths about just simply being godly. He says in verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness... I want to encourage you to underline or circle the word denying. May I state, according to the Bible, that if you want to be a godly man, there are some things that you have to say no to. If you want to be a godly woman, if you want to grow into a godly grandfather, if you want to be a godly parent, if you want to be a godly young man in your 20s or 30s, you have to say no to so many more things than what you say yes to. Is it not the reality of our world that everything out there is fighting against that which God wants us to do and wants us to live and how He wants us to act? You can't drive down the interstate without billboards that are ungodly. Commercials and sitcoms and magazines that are at eye level with our children. Our children, whether it be uh, video games and the internet and so many different outside resources, school and and friends and, and family members, many times promote ungodliness. He says... Verse number 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live 
Here's a key. Circle it soberly. Be not drunk with wine where there's an excess, but be you what? Filled. Have a sober life. The intoxication of the things of this world can drown you into lust and fleshly deeds. But God wants us to be sober. To see life clearly. To see it as He sees it. And then He says righteously. A very simple definition for the word righteously or righteous is right. Godliness is just doing the right thing. Not according to humanity, not according to the morals of uh, America or the traditions of our culture and the customs that, that we have in our world, but, but doing right according to the Scriptures. He that knoweth to do right and doeth it not to him it is sin. We know what sin is. Lying is a sin. Thievery is a sin. Murder is a sin. Uh, unforgiveness and bearing bitterness in our heart is a sin. These things are very elementary. They're not always elementary as playing them out in our life, but it's something that we are to exercise in our life. He says to live righteously and godly in this present world. Not the next one, but this one. Not tomorrow, but today. Looking for that blessed hope. There's the key. If you would stop looking and dreaming and and, and thinking about material things and and what you want for today and the vacation you're going on and, and looking at people or circumstances, but looking, notice, if we would look for the blessed hope, what is that blessed hope? He's returning, is He not? He's coming back, is He not? What would help and motivate you and I to live a godly life is the reality of being reminded that Jesus may come back today. And if He comes back today, will your hand be in the cookie jar? Will you be caught? Is your life pleasing to the Lord? Is my life pleasing to the Lord? Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify on Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke. Three thoughts there. Speaking, exhorting, and rebuking. Not just for the preacher, but for you. Think about it in this light. If you and I want to live a godly life, we need to speak about godly things. Much of who we are consists of our conversations and our communication and what we talk about. As a man thinketh, so is he. If you want to be a godly man, think on godly things and you'll develop and you will grow into that godly man. He says, speak and exhort. I need exhorting. There are times that in the relationship with my wife, she has encouraged me many, many times to be what I could not in that moment or did not want to be in that moment And she encouraged me to be something I did not want to be in that moment. And that was to be a godly man. We need exhorting. Sometimes we need the rebuking. We need to rebuke ourselves. We need to rebuke sin. We need to rebuke situations. He says with all authority, don't allow uh, the, 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 the emotions of being a Debbie Downer to, to, play in to your decision making. You know, have all authority in this decision. Don't be wishy-washy. Don't compromise or apologize for living a godly life. 
And a lot of people say, well, this is what the Bible says, but, 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 you know. Like my grandfather used to say very boldly, he would say, don't walk around like a whooped pup with your tail between your legs. And I think there's some similarity to what the Bible is saying there. Have some authority and some standard and and some fortitude in this thought of living a godly life. I'm not going to apologize for my lifestyle, even though my lifestyle is a godly man. It may offend a number of people. Don't apologize for praying at work. Don't apologize for bringing your Bible to work. Don't apologize for having morals and standards and convictions. You don't have to be rude about it. But I'm not going to play down or dumb down the things of God because of how it makes other people feel. Rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. He says in chapter 3 and verse 1, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle. We're talking about the basics, the basic principles of a godly life. If your home is filled with anger and yelling and fighting, is that exactly what the Bible says opposite to do in verse 2? To speak evil of no man? To be no brawlers but gentle, showing all meekness and all men? Sometimes we can be more kind to the person at the gas station than the one that we love the most. And I think there's a facade that we're all, we all fall prey to of putting on the part or playing out the part. My wife knows me better than anyone. And if I can be a godly man in her eyes, not she is perfect, but you understand that principle of the closeness in relationship, her seeing my life. There's still things that she doesn't know about me that God does because my life is transparent in the eyes of God. God sees all. He knows all about who I am. But I should be living for Him and for His glory. He says in verse 3, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lust and pleasures, lying in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after the kindness and the love of God, our Savior towards man appeared. Let me stop here and say that. Uh, When you think about verse 4, He says, But after that the kindness and the love of God. Can you think with me? He puts verse 4 after verse 3. What's verse 3? For we ourselves were also sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. This crowd I wouldn't want anything to do with. But verse 4 says that God loves us. I'm in crowd verse 3. But thank God for verse 4, His mercy and His love. You know, what, 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 is, what does that mean as we play out godliness? We're imitating whom? God. We're portraying God. That means that sometimes we extend grace. Not sometimes. We extend grace all the time. We should. That as God has forgiven us, we should forgive others. Then he says in verse 5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a what? Faithful saying. 
And these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain, say it with me, good works. I'm not maintaining these good works in order to be saved, but I'm maintaining these good works because I am saved. What are the good works? A true, genuine portrait of godliness. I mean, when you look at these passages, you see how there is the basic entities, just practical things. You don't have to know Genesis to Revelation, deep theological stuff. You don't have to have a Bible degree. It's just simply doing what's right. Don't make it complicated. Just keep it simple. Keep the cookie on the on the bottom shelf. And God does that. There's this equal playing field for all people. Just come to the cross and say, Lord, I don't know how to live this life by myself. I need your help. Help me, and I want to serve you. I want to be a godly man. Number three, look with me in Titus chapter 3 here as well. Look down in verse 8 and verse 9. We see the benefits of godliness. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. The basics of godliness. But what about the devotion to godliness? He says in verse 8 and verse 9, This is a faithful saying. These things I will thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto all men, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strifes about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. What's the key word? Look back in verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm what? Constantly. There's the devotion to godliness. When should you not be godly? Is there an occasion? Is there a time? Should you be godly at lunch? Should you be godly at the movie theater? Should you be godly at the mall? Should you be godly at church? Should you be godly when you're brushing your teeth? You know, it's a lifestyle. It's it's something that you and I should be involved in in a practical, tangible way. I want to give you five things about the pursuit of godliness in the next ten minutes. And this is the message, and we're going to close. I want you to notice, number one, know your purpose. What's a key to godliness? Knowing your purpose. Look with me in Psalms chapter 138. Psalms chapter 138, and look down in verse number 8. The Bible says, The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. He says, The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Godliness. What's your purpose? To live a godly life. Let God perfect you. Is godliness just salvation? No. But you have to be saved in order to be godly. But it's much more than just being saved. It's living a lifestyle. And God is living that lifestyle through you. Know your purpose. Your purpose is to be 
perfected by the hand of God. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. This is God's doing. I can't be a godly man without God. I need to know my purpose. My purpose as a father, my purpose as a husband, my purpose as a son, my purpose as a brother, my purpose as a son-in-law. Every relationship and every aspect of my life, it revolves around the purpose of me being a godly man. Take that to work. Take that to school. Take that home with you and it will change your lifestyle. Number two, keep your priorities. What are my priorities? Look in Matthew chapter 6. Keep your priorities. Make the main thing the main thing, right? He says in Matthew chapter 6, down in verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What's the principle there? It's your priorities revolved around seeking the Lord. Walking with God. Know your purpose. Number two, keep your priorities. Number three, live by your principles. Look in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Live by your principles. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse number 11. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruits of the righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. I want, I want you to think about that thought, which are exercised thereby. Live by your principles. Exercise godly principles in your life. No, now, no chastening for the present seem to be joyous. Why does God correct His children? It, 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 it lies somewhere on that subject of not being as godly as He wants us to be, doesn't it? And, and live by the principles of God's Word. Should your principles... If, if you're a godly man, change with you changing company? Shouldn't. If God's Word says don't do it, then don't do it. But, but, but they like it. This is who they are. They enjoy this. It's not going to be that big of a deal. Have principles. Daniel what? Purposed in his heart and it wasn't the Babylonian Empire, it wasn't a new king and a new government to have any effect on his life. He purposed, no matter where you're at, live by the principles of God's Word. Number four, commit everything to prayer. Know your purpose, keep your priorities, live by your principles, and commit everything to prayer. Look in First Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse number 17. Three words. Pray without ceasing. Commit it to prayer. Can I tell you a secret? Don't tell anyone. I have messed up 
so many times in my life. Don't tell anybody. Maybe this week you messed up. Does God know that? You know what a godly man does? A godly man goes to the Lord and with true repentance in his heart, he brings that petition to Christ. Lord, I'm sorry I've let you down. I know you want better for me. I know you want more for my family. God, please help me. Embrace godliness. Commit everything to prayer. Lord, this is a struggle. Is temptation real? Yes or no? Does God know about the temptations of life? Then take that to the Lord. Take it to the Lord before you do it. I'm not saying don't after you do it or after you mess up. Sure, pray then, but pray before. And if you pray before, by God's grace, you won't go through that. Live a godly life. Commit everything to prayer. Number five, proceed in His power. Look in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 10. He says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Know your purpose. Keep your priorities. Live by your principles of God's Word, commit everything to prayer, and proceed in His power. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. I want to give you that story again. I really like Kate. I really like Edith. You can't have your Kate and Edith. You've got to make a decision. You've got to choose. What kind of man, what kind of woman, what kind of person do you want to be known for? There's no one in here that's perfect. For all of sin it comes short of the glory of God. God is not asking you and I to erase the very nature of who we are, but He's asking us to live above that nature. That we don't have to fulfill the lust and the pride that we don't have to hold on to the sin nature and involve our members in that, that we, by God's help, can choose to live a godly life. This is a choice. And I'm grateful. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that God has made it a choice for me. He could say, you're just so sinful, I'm not going to allow you to even uh, live in this liberty and just give me no opportunity at all. But God... He gives us a choice that we can be godly men. When people stand over your casket, they're going to say nice things. Right? Sometimes those nice things are just nice things. But when, when true family, true family members, your closest, stand over you, Will they hold one another's hand and praise God that you were a godly person? Our Father, we love you this morning. We pray that you would help us through the, through the valleys and the mountains of life, Lord, that you would give us patience. Lord, that we would 
seek you in all of these areas. Lord, that you would give us wisdom. There's the simplicity of godly living. And it's based upon making a choice. I, I pray that you would help each person here this morning to say, Lord, I love you more than that person. Lord, I love you more than that situation. Lord, I love you more than that certain desire. Lord, I love you more than myself. And so I'm asking you to help me today, Lord, to be a godly woman, to be a godly man, to be a godly person, that you would take my hand and walk with me, and that as I leave this place, I will start making godly decisions. Everyone stand into your feet, every head.